Hi there, everybody. You're welcome to today's episode of Ugo's Tech. Ugo's Tech Sports Talk. And my name is Ugo Amadi, and I'm so glad to be speaking to you or speaking with you this evening or this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are. Now, in the world of sports, there are two things I just really want to talk about. I just had to talk about them. It's been a while. I've actually um, posted um, an episode of the podcast, but um, hopefully from today, we'll have a podcast coming on more regularly and it will be on Spotify as usual. And as well as after a while, I'll get it on Stitcher. But let's just dive right in to the two main topics that um, Chelsea fans in particular and English Premier League fans all over the world would have been talking about since the weekend games. Now, I'll start with the Chelsea versus Western game and the whole issue around VAR. Now, when VAR was introduced, the whole messaging, the whole marketing ploy, the whole angle, the entire stitch, the, the entire stick, the entire um, sort of allure or means of enticing people to opt for VAR, you know, and forego the traditional means of just the on-field referee, the match day on-field referee and his linesman or assistant, you know, calling the shots on the day, deciding actions on the pitch, if they, and then deciding when the penalty is a penalty, deciding when someone's gotten a red card, deciding when, when an offense is worthy of a yellow card, is worthy of a red card, you know, and then if anything was missed, the referee was blamed. So what was the main selling point of this whole thing around VAR? It was that it would reduce to the barest minimum mistakes and human errors during games but so far not so good because we've had we've had instances time and time and time again with VAR where you've had VAR or people would like to say VAR the, the people operating VAR at the booth at Stockley Park you know miss things that are very clear to the naked eye and then, in a split second, we'll be able to catch the minutest body part or the smallest body part that is offside. So you wonder what's going on. Now, there are two incidents that, um, for me, that I identified during the Chelsea West Ham game. Now, um, I know people are talking more about the penalty, which was clear as day, how you missed that is just beyond me but the first one because i felt kai Havertz was not offside because even with two lines drawn the red line and the blue line he was actually behind the line and in line with the um, west ham defend defensive line now his arm his ostrich arm was off was clearly ahead of the line but obviously you can't score with your hands in football. If the you can't even control the ball with your hands. If the ball smacks against your hand and you control the ball and shoot and take a shot with your leg and it gets into the the, the net and it's, it's meant to be a goal, but it's not going to be counted as a goal because that would be deemed to be um, handball or foul leading up to a goal and that would not be allowed. So 
how was Kai Harvest upside? I can't know for the life of me. Your answer is as good as mine. Then fast forward into the second half. You know, Conor Gallagher took a shot, which was, the best of my opinion, was a scuff shot that I think um, Fabianski would have just dropped on easily and picked it up. Could even attract <laughs> the shot with his, with his foot. Easy peasy. But what happened? You had Suchek intentionally threw himself on the floor, under no pressure, wasn't trying to make any tackle because his legs were even way miles away from the ball. And he stopped the ball with his hands, intentionally stuck up his fingers as he was falling out, falling to the um, to the top, and stopped the ball. Now, it's one thing if the match day referee and his linesman couldn't see the, the, the foul, couldn't see the handball by Suchek. But how come VAR officials, the VAR officials couldn't say, hey Craig, go to the monitor and have a look because we think there might just be a handball incident there. But no, it was quickly, um, in less than a couple of seconds, it was done, go on, keep on playing. Now, many pundits, guys on talk sport, people on, you know, match of the day, people on ESPN FC, they keep coming up with excuses for the officials or uh, human error or he, um, Suchek knows he's got away with one. You know, VAR has to be better. Yes, indeed, VAR has to be better. But I feel there's corruption within VAR. I feel there's corruption within VAR. Because... Moments later, there's an offside. There's an offside um, that West Ham benefit from and score a goal. And fair dues to VAR, to the VAR officials, they actually called it, actually identified that it was offside. But the time it took for them to actually identify that it was offside was crazy. Because it was clear as day to anyone. It was clear to the eyes that it was offside. It was clear to the human eyes that it was offside. So there was no need for any technology to be brought into play. But VAR was brought into play. Fair game. But the amount of time it took, the length of time it took to actually decipher that Declan Rice was actually offside just blew me away. Just blew my mind. Back and forth, different angles. You know, diff- trying to draw different lines. It was all. It almost. It felt to me. It was almost as if the VAR officials were trying to find a way to <laughs> to make Declan Rice appear onside. They were looking for ways to make sure he's uh, he was onside. You know, just like you go for a job interview, and sometimes you meet an interview panel that you you kind of get the feeling that it's almost as if they're looking for a reason not to give you the job. On your CV at some point, you've got the experience, you've communicated well during the interview, you've spoken well, but you just tend to have the feeling that the panel, for some reason, don't want to give you the job. So I got that kind of feeling as well, that Western game, because it kind of felt like the officials thought it was offside in a matter of seconds, but we're trying to find a way to make it appear that 
Declan Rice was onside. So I said there is corruption within VAR. That is my honest opinion. You may disagree, everyone else may disagree, but I think there is corruption within VAR. Now, corruption doesn't have to do with just money exchanging hands or anything, but corruption could exist. And now you go to the Arsenal game, even more shocking. And what was the excuse the, that came out of the PGMOL uh, and the guys at VAR? The VAR official forgot to draw the lines. How? We, and that's meant to be the first thing you see the moment um, there's a call for an offside or there's a suspected offside. The line is the first thing that's drawn to ascertain if um, a player was onside or if he was indeed offside. So how do you then forget to draw the line? How do you then forget to draw the line? When that's the first thing, just like saying... Um, I couldn't get into my house because I didn't. Op- I forgot to open the door. And you had the keys in your pocket. How does that work? When the first thing you do is you open the door. Or you walk for 10 miles and then you're halfway. You walk for 10 miles and then suddenly you say, Oh, I forgot my shoes. How? Un- unless it's a cold, icy, an icy cold day. And then you walk with your bare feet and then you get halfway through and then you say ah I've forgotten my shoes when you're full you have full mental capacity you're not drunk you're not high on any um, illegal drugs or anything Mm -hmm. of the sort but suddenly you forget your shoes walking on on an icy cold floor it's just unbelievable to me unbelievable to me as far as I'm concerned just so unbelievable to me so I think is one thing saying VAR needs to get better. You need to have better officials officiating VAR. That's beautiful. But there is corruption within VAR. That's my honest opinion. Now, some other arguments that come up. People say get ex-players to be um, involved in VAR. Now, that sounds like a nice idea, in quotes, nice idea. It is actually not such a nice idea. Because what happens if you have an ex-Liverpool player who's an who's actually a fan of Liverpool, you know, and he is meant to be in charge of VAR for a game, let's say, between Man City and Arsenal, and let's say Liverpool are um, in the top four. And a win for, let's say, Man City would give Liverpool the opportunity to progress higher up the table, maybe take them to third or take them to um, being top of the table. So what happens if there's a call, if the game is 1-1 and then there's a call for a penalty, you know, against Man City? What happens then? You know, so you just don't want to open those or that can of worms as far as I'm concerned. The issue about ex-players being involved, no need. It's just that VAR officials, referees should be more accountable. People keep saying human errors, but that is what you sold people on. You sold 
the footballing public, he sold fans, he sold football clubs on the fact that VAR was going to take away human error. So that's why you have people in the booth in Stockley Park with seven up to seven monitors and access to cameras from different angles of the pitch and how then they can miss things that are very very obvious even in some instances obvious to the naked eye is just beyond me how that can be missed i think they should be more accountable you make mistakes but you should be more accountable because everyone in the game if you make a mistake you are accountable if a player makes a mistake and brings down um, an opponent in the 18 yard box it's normally a penalty if a player mistakenly outstretches his hand and handles the ball in most circumstances it's a penalty you know if a play if a goalkeeper you know wrongfully or poorly controls a back pass what happens it's an own goal or leads up to a corner against his team so everyone in the game that makes a mistake suffers consequence for it you know if a coach picks the wrong team the team loses and he stands the chance of losing his job same thing if a board that we'll be talking about <laughs> soon if they make the wrong choice in the um, coaches they hire what happens their team suffers and they lose money if they make um, mistakes with respect to their financial dealings what happens just like Mastia having to deal with not saying they're guilty or anything but they would have to face the music with respect to UEFA maybe being deducted points you know being kicked out of the league so everyone in football if you make a mistake you are going to be punished so officials or Referees, the assistants, and the guys at the, the booth at Stockley Park cannot be an exemption from punishment or from suffering or bearing the consequences of their mistakes. Now, the very next thing I want to talk about is the article that popped up, that at least popped up to me on Twitter, you know, where um, I think David Ornstein in his article for The Athletic um, stated that um, Egbali and um, my forgetting name, Egbali and Todd Bowley and the guys at Clearly Capital would judge Graham Potter by years, so what he accomplishes in years as opposed to months and that there's a long-term plan you know in place um they're looking at long-term plan instead of short-term high and fire sort of policy which kind of existed under the roman under roman abramovich's era or under the roman under roman's era now that's understandable that's fair that's nice you've signed a lot of young players i think the average age is i think 21 they're about 21 22 so sign young players good talented young players but one thing we should get to understand i want people to understand this a long-term plan doesn't have to be tied to the apron strings of a particular manager 
Now let me, let's paint this scenario. Let's say Graham Potter comes in. He wins the quadruple back to back to back, and let's say he has a six-year, seven-year contract, and then he wins the quadruple back to back to back that's three times in a row and then maybe England does not perform so well um, Gareth Salgate's job is in turmoil you know and he has to leave and the English FA approaches um, Graham Potter and then say oh Graham Potter would like you to be our coach and then um, Chelsea gives the permission to the English FA to speak with the coach with, with Graham Potter and Graham Potter, being, being a proud Englishman, would say, uh, yeah, this would be an honour, you know, to manage the three Lions, to manage the English national team. An opportunity of a lifetime that doesn't come up too often. And he leaves. What happens? Does that mean the plan, the long-term plan at Chelsea goes out the window? No, it doesn't imply that at all. Not in the slightest. In this day and age where you have data everything is available you can get data as to uh, as with respect to um a coach's tactics his um appreciation for youth you know his capacity to develop players his ability to you know promote and integrate young players into a team to build winning teams you know to inspire motivate people motivate players it's available you can find data of all this, you know, it's, a, it's available and even more so available to guys with the type of resources that Ed Barley and Todd Bowley have access to. And with um, the, the likes of Vivo, you know, providing that um, football high level strategic support. So you should be able to find coaches that meet what you want. Okay, we want a coach that has an attacking philosophy. You should be able to, to pick out a coach. Or we want a coach that plays a 4-4-3, that plays a 3-4-3, that plays a 4-4-2. You can go on scouting. You can look at Marcelo Gallardo from a real plate. You can look at Luis Enrique. He's jobless at the moment. <laughs> so, no longer coaching the Spanish national team. So, he's just there. You know, Hansi Flick, that would be a tougher one to get. Because it's um, still with the German side. So you can get a coach. I'm not saying fire Potter. But look at the stats. Look at the performances. What does your eye test tell you? Has Potter been great? Has he been great? No, he hasn't. You know, performances have been poor, 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 poor. There was a glimmer of, 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 of hope or some sort of positive outlook. In the first 25 to 30 minutes of the Chelsea versus Western or the Western versus Chelsea game. But after that, it peters out. A coach earns his money not just based off of picking the best 11, because anyone on Football Manager or on FIFA or on PES can pick the best players, the best players, especially when you have the resources that a team or a club like Chelsea has. You know, when you have at your disposal the kind of talent Graham Potter has at his disposal. So picking the best team, which he has not done so well, even though he has not done that so well, but picking the best team is the easiest thing to do. 
you know you can go um Rhys James on the right um uh, Chilwell on the on the left uh Benoit Badrochil central defense Thiago Silva central defense Enzo Fernandez in the middle of the park you know alongside Zachariah you know and then you have um Modric and then on on the um left and then you have Nani Madweke on the right and they have Jao Felix just behind the striker and then maybe you have David Fofana up front so you have that sorted that's easiest thing but the problem comes in regards to the intangibles how you're able to inspire your team you know that's fallen into a lull during the game or that haven't had the the best first half how you're able to motivate these guys to go again in the second half you know how you inspire these people in game tactics in game changes you know how quickly you're able to spot tactical traps set by a manager and then how quickly you're able to respond you know to the tactical changes that's what sets the managers apart that's what sets elite managers apart and to be honest I haven't seen much of that from Graham Potter so saying they're giving him is a long term plan the believing in him you know the judging over years but even a lo- the longest term, the longest the, you know the longest term plan as in the, a plan for 5 years or a plan for 20 years you see have your short term goals and your mid term goals and then your long term goals let's say you have a company right and you you have a 5 year goal to at the end of 5 years you want to be what 5 billion pounds or 5 billion dollars or 5 billion euros whichever one you choose and that's your long term goal and then you hire a chief executive and you say our long term goal is to at the end of 5 years be what 500 billion i mean 5 billion pounds or to say we want to have a revenue at the end of 5 years of 5 billion pounds. Now, that's a long-term plan. If at the end of year 1 the the company doesn't have revenue up to 5 billion pounds, you're not going to sack the chief executive because of that. No, because it's a long-term plan. But, however, if at the end of the first 5 years the company loses 5 billion pounds, what do you do? and then you you say okay it's a 5 billion a 5 year plan we're going to wait you know we're not going to rush what happens at the end of the second year and the company loses um another 5 billion pounds or let's say at the first end of first quarter the company loses 200 500 million pounds the end of the third second quarter the company loses yet another 500 million pounds What do you do? Do you say, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry. It's a long-term plan. We're looking at 5 years." So it doesn't matter what happens in the first two, in the first three quarters of the year, even if we lose half our company, it's fine. It's a long-term plan. And there's something people tend to forget about the dynamic of the Premier League. The Premier League is packaged in such a way that a club that may not have the resources to compete at the top end right now in the next 2 days could have such huge investment that are able to compete with the big boys and once that happens they are then able to get themselves into the top 
or at least into the European into European places, whether Europa League, um, this machination that UEFA created, um, UEFA Conference League. And then what happens when you have those sort of clubs competing and if fortunately or unfortunately they're able to get into the Champions League sports, that means when you're competing for players, that comes into play. Because the thing, whether you could say it's a, it's a good thing or a bad thing, a positive or a negative, a merit or a demerit of the Premier League, most Premier League clubs can offer the same amount of salaries, of wages to the players. Most Premier League clubs especially the ones that have been there you know for some years can offer in and around the same amount of wages of weekly wages so what would trump a player especially if the player is coming in from a foreign league it would be what's the position and if it's a world-class player can you guarantee me champions league football now if Chelsea wants to get Usimen, for instance and Man United as well wants to get Osimen. And it comes to that Man United is able to offer £350,000 a week. Just able to offer £350,000 a week. And then what's on the table? Man United has Champions League, but just doesn't have Champions League. And then you're unable to compete. You know, so it's fine. They make the decisions. That's why they're worth billions. They're obviously smart men. That's why they're worth the billions. They're worth. That's why, you know, they're... This, as successful as they are but just blindly saying we're giving Graham Potter a long-term plan you know we're just saying okay um, we're going to judge him what happens in years not in months that he joined mid-season now he didn't join mid-season he joined after five games let's get that straight he didn't join mid-season that's something I saw in the article by David Honest in the kind of that got me kind of got me scratching my head how mid-season he joined after five games so he he was it was almost as if he started the season with with Chelsea and then when you look at what the Zebi is doing at Brighton you know a team that's meant to be a lesser side that's meant to have lesser resources but they're playing better football and you can see the impact then it gets you to question Graham Potter's chops. And one one last thing about one last thing about Graham Potter, and that is when he got the job, there was a talk of having emotional intelligence um, certifications or qualification or masters or something of the sort, but implying that he, you know, emotional intelligence is his key prowess, is his USP, if you will. But the way he's handled two young players has left me wondering. You know, I don't question his certifications, his degree. I've never questioned a man's de- degrees or certifications or, or, or what's his sweat, his, his poor blood, sweat and tears to get. No. But when you say you have such certifications, when you use that as your unique selling point, then I have to call it into question when it appears you're not using the skills you have now bro at the beginning of the season when he when he when potter just joined recently when he just had recently joined chelsea you had um, amanda bruja who he was giving game time 15 minutes 15 minutes at the towards the end of each game and then at the wolves game 
he scored. That Broja, Amanda Broja scored. And then we're thinking, okay, this youngster's confidence will be sky high right now. So even give him more game time. So if we give him 15 minutes every game, I'll give him 20 minutes. But what happens? He tossed him out. No one saw or heard of Amanda Broja until the World Cup. And then the, the pointless friendly they had to play against Aston Villa and then he got injured. Same thing with David Dastro Fofana. The young boy hasn't played so much. He only came off the bench um, against Man City in the Carabao Cup um, at um, the Etihad Stadium for about the 10 minutes or thereabouts. He showed some good endeavour, but the game was already lost at 3-0. So what would he have done? What could he have done? And then no one saw him anymore until the game against Fulham at Stamford Bridge. And once again, he showed some good, you know, some good traits of a striker. Running in behind, power, pace. He showed some good skill, you know, against the Fulham defender and almost scored. I would have thought, okay, he's shown some, some good attributes. So at least the next game, you play him. And given that you don't have any other striker, or sorry, you have one other striker, Abomiyang, who I don't know why he's not playing, I have no idea why he's not playing him, but those are the only two actual nines you have. And then Kai Havertz, who was best, at best, if he ever gets to be a world-class player, it would be playing as a number 10, or at least playing behind a recognized striker but he persists with Kai Havertz even if Kai Havertz you know isn't lighting up you know the lighting up the goals the, the, the goal scorer the, the scoreboard isn't scoring any goals but you see playing him even when you're playing him out of position and you have an actual striker and the way he treated David Dato Fafana is so bad that Pundits and news outlets don't even mention <laughs> the kid when they're talking about, oh, Chelsea doesn't have a strike. They don't even say, oh, he's not good enough. He's still learning his trade. He's still trying to, maybe he's still trying to get acclimatized to um, English football. Maybe he's still trying to get acclimatized to the weather. But I don't think that would have been, that would be an issue because he was playing in Scandinavia. So, you know, so the weather is more or less the same. Or similar at least but no one even mentions him if you watch and listen to ESPN FC they say Chelsea had, hasn't signed a striker they signed for a different position but didn't sign a striker that they needed the most if you listen to talk sport they say the same thing if you listen to you know um, pundits and people on social media and everything no one mentions for Fana everyone seems to they make a or rather, they criticize the um, they criticize clearly capital, saying every other position got at least one player in, but no striker was signed. But two strikers were signed, and then if you're saying if the argument is Abomiyang is 33, he's not as fast as he used to be, he can't really press that much, so he doesn't suit my style of football. That is, doesn't suit Graham Potter's style of football. Okay, understandable. But then you have a kid in David Dafofana who's pacey, powerful, and actual number nine, and he's not just a static player. 
he can link with the midfield and he's shown you evidence of this, why not play him? So now you're crushing the player's confidence and you're meant to have, you're meant to be this emotional intelligence uh, uh, sort of czar. You know, you're meant to be this expert on emotional intelligence. So it's either there's something wrong with your credentials, which I'm not questioning, or you have the right credentials, which I suspect Potter has, but you're using it wrongly. You're applying it wrongly, which is even as bad as you don't have the credentials. Now, if you don't know how to drive and someone forces you to drive and you have an accident, it's bad, it's wrong, it's evil, but you don't know, you are forced. But if you claim to know how to drive, you show up with some driver's license and then you kill someone then you are very wicked then because you've actually deceived people into thinking you know how to drive when you don't know how to drive or even worse still where you know how to drive you have years of experience with respect to driving but you kill someone vehicular manslaughter that's even worse because you're skilled your skill in the art of driving. So the same thing applies if Graham Potter is such an emotional intelligence genius. You know, he, the relationship with play, his relationship with with players, his ability to build that bond with players is, you know, what sets him apart. And he's already crushing the spirits of two young players, of two young men within the Chelsea ranks. Then that's just sad. So. At this point, I'll come to the end of um, to this episode, and hopefully, we, you'll be having more of this. Um, we'll try to see if we can do it um, at least twice a week. Go on to Spotify and listen to this to the podcast. So it's Google State Podcast. You go and search on Spotify, and it's there available. So once again, and I'm, I'm Uga Madison. Thanks for listening, and speak to you soon. Bye.